Welcome to the CSIS Podcast. I'm Colin Quinn. This week we're talking about Niger, where the deaths of four US soldiers in a militant ambush brought to light the broadening scope of the US war on terror and how the US is assisting countries in the region. We'll be speaking with Africa Program Director Jennifer Cook on the challenges this part of the world is facing that go beyond hard-nosed security. We'll also be looking at the prospects for a five-country joint force and the dangers of over-militarizing a vast and often unknown area. We begin by discussing just why American soldiers were in Niger. I think the the ambush certainly brought new attention to this region, which I think many policymakers have overlooked for a very long time. The U.S. mission there is not new. The threats emanating from this region are not new. Um, but I think it's been kind of off, off the radar screen for many, even senior members of the Senate Armed Service Committee. The question of why we're there, um, really over the last 15 years, we've seen a proliferation of uh, extremist groups in the region generated initially out of local political grievances and fights. Um, you saw the rise of uh, al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb arising out of previous groups that emanated from Algeria. You've seen spin-offs from AQIM. Uh, you've seen Boko Haram come on the scene in a much more um, violent, destructive way. You had, after the collapse of Libya, a coalition of these extremist groups took over the northern half of Mali, so a huge swath of territory in the Sahel, and great fear that they would create uh, a safe haven or a training ground um, uh, to, to launch attacks further afield than in West Africa. Um, these groups have proliferated over time. Uh, now you have groups pledging allegiance to either ISIL or al-Qaeda coming out of central Mali. You've had attacks into Burkina Faso, uh, you've had attacks even as far south as the West African coast in Cote d'Ivoire in Mali. Um, there is a real uh, security problem here, um, although it is combined, it's violent extremist groups combined with uh, drug trafficking, with trafficking in arms, trafficking in people, and, and a criminal economy. Um, so it's very hard to to disentangle the extremist networks from the criminal economy that, that they work in, um, but there's certainly a threat there. The U.S. has been there and, and very unwilling to get in the middle of the fight and make it a, a, a U.S. front. France has taken a very uh, uh, important role and a more kinetic role, particularly after the takeover of, of northern Mali. Um, the U.S. is very keen to remain in the position of helping the national governments and militaries of the region uh, to take on the security threats themselves, to become first responders. So the Africa Command, uh, as its core mission really in, in most of Africa, is to say we are going to work through these militaries, work to, to build their capacity to take on their own security threats. That mission has expanded over years. There are now 800 to 1,000 troops within Niger and more within the wider region. Um, uh, but they have been there for quite some time now. And what are they doing, like specifically? Is it training? Is it 
Uh, well, they work on on just building the basic capacity of these troops, uh, training on you know professionalism and and ethics and and human rights and so forth. They work. Uh, they assist in building um, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance capacities, communications, uh, and now also a push to get the the states of the region to coordinate and cooperate more closely with one another. You've been there and. You were there quite recently in, in not just um, uh, in Niger, but uh, the surrounding countries. You know, what are what are countries facing there that perhaps has has led to this this extended presence? All of these countries have in common uh, a, a level of political fragility uh, and a, a strong. Well, strong is a is a relative term, but a, a, a central government. Um, that controls most of the resources, and great areas of marginalized peripheral communities that get very little investment from the state. Very little, they see very little in terms of infrastructure, in terms of investment, and have very little stake in the central state and the national uh, entity. And you see that in Burkina Faso, you see that uh, in Mali, where all the resources and, and political power are centered in the south. Uh, similarly in Niger to a slightly lesser extent. Um, they also have, uh, they are on the edge of the Sahara, and so they're a very difficult, vast terrain that they, they need to control. And they all have extremely long, porous borders that uh, even in the best of circumstances, it would be difficult to monitor and to securitize. So there's a, a political uh, challenge there. There is the, the geographical challenge. There is also increasingly the effects of climate change, demographic growth, and so competition over resources and livelihoods that drives a lot of this local conflict that can manifest itself in criminality, in militant extremism, uh, and, and so forth. So a very vulnerable region um, that is now kind of being permeated by groups that are taking on increasingly um, destructive tactics of suicide bombs, IEDs, attacks against very vulnerable targets. How has the U.S. been doing uh, in addressing those other more political problems and kind of more developmental problems? Well, the U.S. has invested to some extent uh, in in development, in governance to a much lesser extent. And I think the the real key is is the balance that is given to those Things. The U.S. presence, there's not a big U.S. presence in Niger or Mali outside of a military one, and that sends a, a, a signal. Um, there's also a great need for much more diplomatic pressure on the countries of the region to take on those difficult political decisions and investments in those peripheral regions. Um, you know, in some ways, the military is almost the easiest because you know, you kind of know what you're doing, but it is it is only a very small part of what's going to be the longer term solution. One of the challenges for the United States, I think, is, and this is from traveling there, you know, from here, it looks very distinct. You've got extremist groups over here. You've got drug traffickers over here. You've got political groups over here and armed political groups. On the ground, people who are there analyzing this stuff will, will admit we, we have no idea who who perpetrated this particular attack for, or, the, or that one. These groups are, uh, they overlap, they intersect. It's sometimes very hard to tell, uh, is this an ideological or a commercial or a criminal driver here that's uh, uh, behind a particular group? So what looks 
you know, when you're very close in on the ground, it's very hard to make these distinctions. Um, these groups are, are connected and overlap in very complicated ways. The other thing, and I was most recently in Burkina Faso, is now how even this wider swath of countries is becoming vulnerable to it. Uh, Burkina obviously had some attacks two years ago in the capital city. That was the first time they had been hit by this. Now they are experiencing up in the north, in the border with Mali, attacks almost every day. Um, uh, there are uh, convoys uh, attacked, uh, uh, police stations, police barracks, uh, police stations and military barracks attacked. So it's, it's becoming new groups are kind of springing up that are imitating the tactics of, of some of the harder core extremist groups. Um, you talked about how kind of murky it was in terms of like even the people on the ground um, not really being able to ascertain who's doing what. I guess how much faith do you have that I hear news today that Niger wants to have armed drones from the U.S. Uh, patrolling? Uh, you know, how much faith do you have that that will will work out? Yeah, well, there's a discussion now within the U.S. government of should the U.S. take a more aggressive posture, kind of loosen up the rules on lethal force, begin to arm some of the drones, and you know, I think that is a, a, a terrible mistake to blunder in with lethal force into a complicated situation of local rivalries and competition that the U.S. understands very little. You know, the the ambush that occurred um, was, in a sense, uh, derived from bad intelligence, that uh, they, the assumption was that the area was not that high risk, that there were no groups in the immediate area, um, they were not forewarned of, of 50 guys on motorbikes coming across the desert. Um, that tells me that you need a lot more, uh, you need a lot sharper intelligence before you go blundering into a situation with armed drones uh, where uh, one mistake or civilian deaths or a community destroyed uh, creates a lot more problems than, than it solves and makes the U.S. a target and becomes a recruiting Attack, uh, recruiting tool for extremist groups. So I think the U.S. needs to tread very carefully when it thinks of expanding still further its military footprint there. Uh, let's talk about the the, the countries affected themselves um, and, and how they're dealing with it. We had uh, the foreign ministers of the G5 uh, here at CSIS this week. You know what 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 is being done at that level, and what kind of uh, optimism do you have for for a solution on the country level? Well, the the foreign ministers from Mali, Niger, Burkina Faso, and Chad were here, uh, and the permanent secretary of the G5 Sahel from from Mauritania were here, making the case for the G5 joint force, for which they've just gotten uh, funding from the UN. They've gotten sixty million in uh, funding from the United States in bilateral assistance. Um, the G5 Joint Force is an effort to uh, create kind of greater cooperation in three trans-border zones. It's kind of critical places where personnel, fighters, arms, and trafficking uh, are particularly intense between several of the states. Um, this is considered a first step in getting the region 
and the region's militaries to cooperate most close, more closely together. Um, so they are pushing that very hard, uh, trying to make the case to the United States that this is very much in U.S. interest. This is an international problem um, that could come back to bite them if it's not kind of uh, if if more is not invested now. So that was the case that they were making. Now this focus was very much the military one and. Absolutely, getting better control of those borders is a critical component of responding to criminal networks and violent extremist groups that are operating there. The ability to move back and forth kind of with impunity and uh, move someplace else, regroup and come back, that's one of the key factors of these groups' resilience. Um, my worry, though, is that this all this focus and attention on this military joint force kind of shields them from some of the much harder questions in terms of the national governance and investment in national institutions, in inclusion, in building social cohesion, in developing infrastructures that connect the country, um, that if those more difficult but essential components of, an, of a national and regional response are not taken up, this problem is just going to come back again and again. And my worry is that the focus on this military response kind of reinforces the idea that this is a military problem for which there is a military solution. Oh, yeah, and we'll do all that development stuff later on down the road. And that's that's the concern. Even though I think the G5 is, is a very good and necessary concept, it can't be kind of the, the, the goal. It has to be just a first step. Um, and finally, I mean, to bring it back to, to Niger and this, this ambush, you know, it's rare that America's Africa policy gets put in the spotlight um, and is considered, and especially in a military um, angle. Do you think something will come from this or that changes, policy changes will come? Well, I hope that uh, policy changes don't come hastily. Uh, you know, we saw in, in Somalia after the real tragedy of 1993 and Black Hawk Down, we essentially did not pay attention to that country until 10, 15 years later. And then we came back with very little understanding of the dynamics on the ground. So I, I think, I hope that this incident, tragic as it was, uh, raises attention to the region, but that we don't kind of hastily, you know, ramp up uh, a military response. I think we need to make sure that the response is very well considered. Um, you know, I, I do want to say, and the ministers, I thought, made this point very eloquently yesterday, you know, it, it's not that these countries are looking to the United States or the international community uh, to fight their wars for them. These uh, countries have lost a lot of personnel and a lot of civilians in these conflicts. Five Nigerian soldiers were killed in the ambush that killed um, the four U.S. servicemen. And uh, the, the Nigerian uh, foreign minister said, you know, the U.S., you need to be really proud of your men. He said they, they fought like lions. Uh, they had their arm, their weapons in hand until the very end. Um, and they uh, died fighting, protecting themselves and, and uh, our Nigerian colleagues. It was a, a, um, and I think, you know, we want to encourage the kind of partnership that builds trust between our militaries. I don't think we want to pull back from Niger, uh, but I think we do need to proceed very carefully before we ramp up a military presence or, or make things more complicated. And that was Jennifer Cook closing out our show for this week. 
We'll be back again with more next week. So until then, please check out our 13 other podcasts or go on CSIS.org where you can review the week's events, including an address by one of the highest level defectors from the North Korean regime. As always, if you have any suggestions or feedback on the show, please let me know. I'm on email at cquinn at csis.org, or you can find me on Twitter. See you next week. Thanks for listening.